Hi, I'm Amy Porter, and this is my podcast. My mission is to show people how to empower themselves through music, business, and media. I try to see as clearly as possible how I can help. I showcase the music that I've played and the people I've met along the way. I'm a wife and a stepmom. You might know me as a professor, a performer, a producer, a publisher, a recording artist. I'm the founder of a couple of nonprofits. Welcome in to my Porter Flute Pod. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod and our Season 3, Episode 13, Friendcast. I chose six female peers that I felt influenced me the most from the Juilliard School from 1982 to 1987, and I invited them to have a reunion with me on the podcast. These people always had a smile, always played their best. And, you know, they're such beautiful souls. Welcome, Wendy Stern, Liz Mann, Sharon Woodsparrow, and Liz Buck. And sending regrets, but here in spirit, Marina Piccinini and Laura Gilbert. Our producer, Alan, he made popcorn for himself at the Zoom session, sat back, and had a great time. We discussed learning the differences in our teachers, Julius Baker and Samuel Barron. And we talk about how it felt to listen to each other. 2022 marks the 35th anniversary year of my graduating with a master's after having received a bachelor's there also. And it was with two different teachers, Mr. Barron and then Jeannie Backstresser. And this is something we refer to in the podcast as crossing studio lines. To celebrate our reunion, I went to find the Bach Sonata in G minor. Liz Mann brought it up. It was a staple of the Julius Baker repertoire. This is from one of my performances in 2018 with Joe Gasho on harpsichord. Hey, everybody, there's some parts of this that I had to cut because it's so long, but there's still so much you'll enjoy in our time together. Stay tuned for the memories, and thanks for being in Porter Flute Pod. I'm so glad you're here. I'd like to introduce you to my guests. Flutist Wendy Stern received her Master's of Music degree from the Juilliard School. A former president of the New York Flute Club, she's on the faculty of Montclair State University. Elizabeth Mann is a member of Orpheus Chamber Orchestra and the principal flute of the Orchestra of St. Luke's. She received her degree from the Juilliard School. Sharon Sparrow is assistant principal flute of the Detroit Symphony and instructor of flute at Oakland University and Wayne State University. Sharon earned her bachelor's degree at the Juilliard School. Elizabeth Buck is professor of flute at Arizona State University. Elizabeth holds a DMA from Rice University and a bachelor and master's in music from the Juilliard School. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod, everybody. So I'll start from the beginning. It was 1981. I was auditioning for the Juilliard School, but my parents in Delaware couldn't afford 
to, you know, accompany me and take me to New York City. And in a conversation with my teacher, my teacher looked up at the sky and kind of wondered out loud if she could possibly call her previous student, Wendy Stern, who was getting her master's degree. And perhaps she had a couch. Maybe she <laughs> even had a guest room. I don't know. And um, and I could get I could go. So my parents let me go to the Juilliard audition by myself. And I went immediately to Wendy's apartment on, don't tell me, 70th Street. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Remember that, ladies? 70th Street? What was the apartment? The, I mean, the, the building, 210 West 70th. So many people live there. Crazy, right? Yeah. So I go there and I practiced and I practiced. And then I took a walk and I just walked all around New York City and I got back and Wendy was like, where did you go? And I was like, I was just walking. <laughs> I felt really cozy at home in New York City. I probably shouldn't have done that. It was 1982 or one. And, and, and it was a little rough by Columbus Circle, right? Uh -huh. So I went south of Columbus Circle um, and I practiced the whole time, you guys. Remember, okay. we had to take tests for theory, tests for piano, um, play your audition and all that. Um, and also, Wendy, you had a beautiful relationship with both teachers. So I want to start with you. What do you remember about being a master's student and having your former teacher call you and say, could I have some young girl stay with you for a couple of days? Well, well, I, I love that. I love that. And it was, you know, I don't remember you taking walks. I just remember you practicing all the time and meanwhile I had a roommate and we were all practicing all the time but but Amy just you know practiced all the time and this was way before they had pre-screening auditions so the auditions were three days of flute players and so um, I remember walking you to the audition and wishing you luck but I thought that you know if this kid doesn't get in I don't know <laughs> who would get in because you were fabulous and you played, um, I remember you were playing Altez Etudes, like up to speed, and um, it was really pretty impressive. But at that time, I had started out at Juilliard with um, Mr. Barron, and then um, I was getting my master's with Mr. Baker. So I felt like I had the, the best of both worlds. But um, you certainly a of, did. A lot of practicing in those days. <laughs> what else were you going to do? Um, and I had to actually relive a little of that experience because my daughter just finished her master's degree from Juilliard. She's a violinist. And um, it's, it's very different there now. I think it's a much more humane kind of place. It's more like a college than a tech school. <laughs> like when I was there, it was just all about flute. And now they have humanities classes. They have entrepreneurial classes. They have a newsletter. And um, so she had a really happy social experience. And for us, we didn't really, I didn't really start being social until way after I left. I mean, now, you know, I really um, cherish these relationships from that time. But when I was at Juilliard, it was all about me <laughs> and what I could do from week to week. Well, thank you for being by my side at that audition. And I know your support made my audition go the way it went, which was I was smiling. Sam Barron was smiling. I, we wanted to be together. Um, I told on the last podcast 
that I was, um, I had food poisoning for my Eastman audition. So I was um, not well uh, in the <laughs> garbage can right before. And then uh, Curtis, it got down to me and another person like for hours almost in callbacks when Julius Baker ordered barbecue chicken and I'd never smelled barbecue chicken. So uh, I missed my B flat thumb key on one of the runs of Men- Mendelssohn's Scherzo. And he looked up in kind of joy, like, yay, I get to finish this audition. Uh, so I didn't go to Curtis. So there I was kind of, in the memory of Julius Baker and the Curtis audition. <laughs> and so that moment was kismet. We fell in love at that audition, Wendy. And, and you had told me um, he's the nicest person. And I was super naive from Wilmington, Delaware. That's all I knew. Uh, so I, I, it was a beautiful experience. I get into orchestra. I'm sitting there and it's Mahler six. And I'm playing at the end of the row. I don't know if you remember all this. I, I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's pre Sharon, it's pre Liz, but definitely Liz man is sitting there and just inspiring us all. Right. Right. I remember, but Liz man, thank you so much for being at our little reunion. We're at the time of the story. When I auditioned for Juilliard, I get in, I end up in the orchestra. I kept telling Brunelli, excuse me, my name's Porter. And he goes, yeah, you're in the orchestra shut up, go away, you know, and I go and I sit and it's you. Thank you for just inspiring me in my very first formative years, sitting there in that orchestra. And um, Wendy and I were just discussing about Juilliard and the curriculum being a little more humane these days <laughs> than it, it was back in 1982. So um, Sharon Sparrow, did you arrive and Liz Mann was still there? Liz was there. I remember Liz sitting in on my lessons and being just like, oh, my gosh. Right. You <laughs> and Laura Gilbert um, would just wander in. Anybody could wander into Mr. Baker's studio at any time. So you never knew was going to be there. And I was just like, I was like so nervous all the time. It was so scary to have you guys just such idols. I mean, the thing about Juilliard for me, I mean, of course, I loved studying with Mr. Baker. It's so funny, Wendy, that you call him Mr. Baker and I call him Mr. Baker, <laughs> Mr. Baker to me. Like, if you know, he's old, he'll yeah. still be Mr. Baker. Um, but the thing is, like, it was not studying with him that was my experience at Juilliard. It was all of you. I mean, it was everybody, like the players, my goodness, the class, like everybody, Amy. Uh, Marina, Sue Hepner, Liz, Wendy, Liz, all guys just blew me away. I learned so much. That's 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 where my education was at Juilliard, and that's where my memories of art at Juilliard. And you have quite a story, Sharon, because um, you transferred. Yes, I started at SUNY Purchase um, for my college years, and I was there for two years. But as SUNY Purchase, you could study with any teacher. It was it was a new school, fabulous school, and you could you had to go out and seek your own teacher. So I remember the dean of SUNY Purchase said, "Oh, he gave me a list, and he's like, call Julius Baker first. And I was like, "Who's that?" This <laughs> like Syracuse. And so I called Mr. Baker, and of course he's like, "Oh, come on down, honey. Come play for." <laughs> So I took the train and I played for him and he's like, take a walk with me, honey. And we <laughs> the, the phone booths. Do you remember that? There was like 
payphones on the floor where all the studios were. He said, come take a walk with me after I played for him. And we walked to the to phones and he gets on the phone and he called Alan Cox, who was, you know, his, his uh, great friend and did a lot of gigs with him at the time. And he called Alan. And he's like, Alan, I got somebody here I want you to teach. And he said, you're not ready for me. Mr. Baker said, he said, but come back in a year and audition for me. And which I did. And then I got into Juilliard. So oh. I started with Alan Cox because Mr. Baker went to the pay phones and called him and said, you're this girl. So that's how, that's how my journey started in New York. And I just remember as you still are Sharon, your smile. And I just remember you're nice and you were kind of a safe person to be around at Juilliard was not always safe. Um, Wendy mentioned it was very much a school of self. And I second that. I, I think it was definitely me, 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 me. And then all of a sudden you realized, um, oh, there's someone else. And they're the compare schlager, I call it. You took a shot at compare schlager to, oh, no. So um, interesting. Can you talk, Sharon, about the open lessons? And um, that was very interesting because I didn't have open lessons well all. i can talk about it but i'm sure you guys could talk about it too because yeah never I, knew actually i do it with my students sometimes you just never knew who was going to be on the couch because mr baker you know like he invited anybody in at any time so you you had to you just got used to that he loved an audience he loved teaching to an audience and he he doesn't he, well, in my time, he didn't really keep exactly to his schedule. So once you entered his room, you couldn't leave until after your lesson. And I remember at one point, my lessons were at two o'clock and I'd go to the door and listen. And I knew everybody's, you know, all my friends, what they were playing. But if I heard someone playing something really slowly, then I knew that Mr. Baker was by himself and I could knock on the door and go in. But if I went in and it was someone else's lesson and their lesson started at 11 and it was two o'clock, I had to stay there the whole time, missing any other of my classes that I had. But it was great because we got to hear each other's lessons. And um, a lot of times I would learn more from listening to what he said to somebody else than what he might say to me because I'd be nervous and couldn't respond that quickly. So it was a great, it was a great experience. I'm going to bring Liz Buck into the fold here. Liz Buck, do you remember Liz Mann at all or Wendy Stern? Not from Julie. Because you came later. Yeah, I was the youngster here. I had Uh heard all about all of these wonderful flutists, and I thought, what am I doing here at Juilliard? Uh (laughs) No, give me a break. (laughs) You had imposter syndrome? Oh, totally. I thought Juilliard made a mistake. I thought, how, wait, their standards must be really low if they accepted me. Because I remember coming in as a freshman from California, not knowing anything or anybody. And then I'm hearing about all these great flute players. Oh my gosh, have you heard Sharon Sparrow? Have you heard Laurie Gilbert? And I mean, Wendy, I didn't even know that we could have crossed paths. (laughs) 
at Juilliard. And then Liz, man, I, I had a roommate who just, who knew you. And she said, I remember she said, oh, you have to meet my friend Liz Mann. And then we were introduced in Fairway. And it oh. was just one of these interesting things where it's like, oh, you're Liz Mann. And I didn't know what to say. And I was like, I don't think I can survive in New York. <laughs> just hearing you talk for two minutes just brings up a world of memories of I mean my in my class was Gary Shocker he was we have we even had the same birthday we're the same age the same everything and two years older than me was, is Jeff Kaner so that that was what I was sort of coming into and everybody knows that Gary at the time was was Baker's everything um, and so it was always I don't know Amy if you ever got this but not bad for a girl I mean we Oh. <laughs> if we heard this one time, I heard it a hundred times. Not bad for a girl. And yeah, so I mean, I have so many amazing memories. And as you said, Amy, all the good and the low. I mean, I thought coming in, I nobody, you know, I was just so great. And then it was a combination of feeling very secure and very insecure, very secure and insecure. You know, having an ego and having no ego. And mm. I'm still a little the same way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, except that I have so many flute friends and so many colleagues. So all those rough times at Juilliard when we were there, and Amy, I think you're, you know, a little younger, but just all of those times, it felt like we were all kind of in a dogfight, but mm. excited to learn and excited to be with everybody. But, you know, we were 17, 18, 19 years mm. old when we went to Juilliard. So we were just... We were kids. We now teach those kids. And it's just, I wish I could tell those kids that we're, and I do now, we're in this together. We are in this mm -hmm. together. It didn't always feel that way, Juilliard. But whenever I see any of you, hear any of your recordings, it just puts a smile on my face. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to have the perspective mm -hmm. now, right? Um, and I, unfortunately horribly have to go because i have a rehearsal and i have a concert i'm playing a recital at five o'clock today um, <laughs> for a benefit and one of the things i'm playing which i haven't played in years is the bach g minor 1020. Um, oh. and i thought you know this was baker's one of baker's pieces mm -hmm. that he loved and he had all the students play mm -hmm. and amy i just happened to have, i you know i go on youtube and, I, and it's such a beautiful recording i love your performance of this that I, that you just must have posted not so long ago and it just brought back all the memories of the style of what mm -hmm. baker infused um into his players and then you know i often off and on mostly in new york and play with a lot of groups that are with period players and very different kind of thinking about baroque approach to music and and i just find that i think all of us as players have kind of blended all of the things that we've learned but there is a core and this is what i tell people there is a core training to anybody who's ever come past cross paths with julius baker and the mm -hmm. school and the art of flute playing and I have such respect for all of you, and um, I hate that I have to go. That's why I just wanted to say a few words. I hope you're recording this, and I hope we can do this again. And I just didn't know 
that this thing was coming up on my plate and that I have to now go. To, to well, thank you for your, your few minutes that you spent with us and your stories because it's a story time podcast and, and we appreciate the, the, the love of our teachers. So uh, go play for the love of your teachers. Yeah. I, I will. Inspired and us so much. So we're going to keep talking about you after you leave. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> but I mean, I love you all. And just um, really, and Wendy knows how much I love her too, because oh. Wendy Moore in New York. But oh. I just, I have such respect for my colleagues and anybody who came through Julius Baker and anybody who came through near when I was there. It means so much to me. And I hate that I have to go, but I have to. Um, <laughs> Okay. Do my thing. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Hope to see you again. Bye. Bye. You know, that's the thing that that Liz just brought up is like right now, my best friends are are flutists. You know, these are my my people. You know, these are the people that understand me, who I understand. At at Juilliard, um, I wasn't that evolved yet. You know, and and I didn't realize that the comp the competitive nature was actually with myself. It wasn't against anybody else. And so I think once you realize that, you can be friends with the people that you might be competing with. But really, we're competing with ourselves to be the best players and musicians that we can be. Feel like the fourth floor was where we kind of would meet we Wendy you spoke about knowing what your friends were playing is that because we were all playing Chandelinos at 11 p.m <laughs> in the same practice room by the elevator yeah. I remember you could never leave your room because if you left the room for more than five minutes somebody would steal it so I would just like skip so many classes because I didn't want to lose my practice room like you couldn't leave and and you know now I it's remember different. Now it's right. different. And you then I cards that you reserve your room so that no one else can take it. So um, I remember the strategy was always to be friends with a pianist uh-huh. because then you, the pianists were always in the rooms and then they needed to take a break. And so then uh-huh. I could get a room if I could coordinate with pianists who needed a break. Uh, I remember circling that fourth floor and circling that fourth floor and circling that fourth floor. Yeah. And the curtains in the room that like ate your sound. <laughs> <It> was- <laughs> and they smelled like cigarettes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> From <Yeah>. the pianists. <laughs> I remember you'd have to get there so early. I remember the people wait. Do you remember everybody waiting in the lobby for the security guard to come down? And like open the elevator so that you could rush in and go get (laughs) I am not a morning person, but I would be there so I could get that room. I remember the security guard coming down and the doors opening and we'd all rush in to go up to the get a practice. (laughs) I remember a couple of strategies were when they decided to close the building at midnight, I guess you just turn the lights out and then um, hit in the corner. And then when the security guard went around and left, you could turn the light back on. That was my time. And the other thing about the fourth floor story that I have was I was 
a freshman and it was my first like week at Juilliard. And I went to practice and I heard Tafanel Gobert won faster than I'd ever heard it and louder than I'd ever heard it. It was flawless playing. And I, I got close to the practice room and I hunkered down and I looked up <laughs> into the bottom part of the window and there was only a car and driver on a music stand. That was it. I was like, who is playing? What is ha- what is happening? There's a car and driver, and that's all I see on the music stand. It was Nobutaku Shimizu <laughs> warming up, and he, you know, he didn't need music, but I didn't know that. And I, it it was one of those moments where you learn more from the people who were there. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh, he's brilliant. And I, how many times did you quit the flute after hearing Nobutaku Shimizu? <laughs> Or anybody, Sue Abner, Marina, all these people. Okay, I quit. <laughs> well, I just remember leaving, you know, and uh, Jeff Kaner was always the last person to leave. And he would just like be practicing with such gusto. And I'd say, Jeff, what are you practicing for? He goes, oh, I'm just, I'm just practicing. And he did that every day of his life there. <laughs> and, <laughs> I love that. And, um, you know, it never really occurred. Like I was always practicing for something. Now I practice for, for me. <laughs> yeah. That's why I didn't feel like the competition aspect that you guys speak of, because I mean, I felt like y'all were just, there was no way <laughs> I could never. <laughs> so why even worry about com- competing? I just learned so much. I mean, yeah. So healthy. She was so healthy. Liz Buck, you were super healthy too, <laughs> I guess. You were just trying no, to soak it all up. Intimidated. I was completely intimidated. <laughs> I must have been about a senior when you came in as a freshman or maybe a junior. I'm not sure, but we played an orchestra together. We were featured with Samuel Barron. Uh, did you love Samuel Barron as much as I did? Oh, my gosh. He was just the best. And then I think that it was the fact that he only had a few students and so when he was at Juilliard and he was there for us, I mean, he was really there for us. He was just such a gentleman. I learned so much from him. And I remember always him meticulously writing in the notebooks. Mm. And I, was, I would always think, you know, the Baker students, they get to play through so much. They, get, they play through everything every week. And here are lessons. Mr. Baker's writing everything down in the notebook and stuff like that. And then now I think, oh, my gosh, how valuable that was because I'm the teacher I, because of Sam. Yeah. He made, he, when I was with Mr. Barron, it was way before Jeannie Baxter wrote her orchestral excerpt books. And so he, he made me write harmony parts to all the excerpts. I have them in my, my notebook. And Amy, I love that you publish your notebooks on your website. Yeah, for so it sure. It doesn't have to be in my little chicken scratch handwriting. <laughs> you, you, you can see it and um, share it. And my students love that. It's actually not in my notebook. It's in their notebooks. And I say, excuse me, do you mind if I take a picture of your notebook? Uh. And they roll their eyes and go, fine. Uh-huh. And they continue on with what I'm trying to teach them. Um, but anyway, back to Samuel Barron. Do you got, first of all, Sharon Sparrow, did you get lessons with Sam at all? Oh, no, never. Not once. It's a big regret of okay. my 
I never had a single lesson with him. He did wander into my lessons. He would occasionally wander into lessons and sit on the couch as well. But no, I never. Well, I, I think that that was, at least from what I remember, you didn't cross studio lines. Um, no. It wasn't encouraged. Uh-huh. It was actually frowned upon. So I was just like, I can't do this. You don't cross studio lines at Juilliard. Um, that was my impression of it. So it's a huge regret. I listening to these stories, you guys tell them like, Oh my God, how did I miss out on this? This is horrible. I should tell you my story of how I cross lines. So after my first year, I went to the Julius Baker masterclass. And after the masterclass, Mr. Baker said, if you can swing it, I, I would like to teach you. And, you know, of course, my heart went pitter patter. Um, and, but meanwhile, I didn't know what to do. So I went to see Mr. Barron in Long Island, I took the train and I went to see him. And he, he was such an amazing human being. He was such a gentleman. And he said, you know, this is an opportunity for you, but you should realize, you know, he just told me um, lots of practical things that he wasn't there all the time. And, um, and I decided I would just go for it. Um, So I'm really lucky because I had I had both of those teachers. And as a teacher, I have my notebooks from when I studied with Mr. Barron, but I also got to hear Baker's sound in my ear every week, which was really pretty amazing. But I found out later, much later, that um, Gary Shocker was Baker's wunderkind, and he decided to go study with Mr. Barron. And so <laughs> Julie wanted to take one of his students, and he took me. <laughs> it worked out. It worked out, but I had no, I thought he really liked me, but he just, he was just looking, you know, I just happened to be there at the right time. <laughs> Wendy. Wow. Well, like I said, it worked out. It worked out. <laughs> Okay, so I had two lessons with Mr. Baker because unfortunately, Mr. Barron had had a heart attack Uh, and and he was in the hospital and we got the news. And so Mr. Baker's going to give you a lesson. So my lesson had at least three people in it, uh, Marina and Tom being two of them. I forget who the third was, but I played through the Schubert variations and he uh, finished by talking to Linda Mark for a while and um, saying to the three on the couch, she's pretty good, isn't she? <laughs> so it really wasn't not bad for a girl. It was, yeah, not bad. Not bad. She's pretty good. You know, watch out for that one. She's pretty yeah. good. That It was kind of inspiring. Can I ask you, Sharon, then the rumor on the street with the Sam Barron students what, who had to painstakingly, Wendy, he would write and it would take forever. And you're 17. You're saying, please hurry up. I want to play. I don't want to wait for you to write down the opening of Afternoon of a Fawn. Painstakingly, five <laughs> lines would appear and a treble clef sign, painstakingly slow and all that. And Liz Buck is nodding, yes. And um, he'd give you ornaments to everything, Sharon. So the rumor was that the Baker students were playing all one sonata first movement memorized a different one every week 
And we were all over here, you know, trying to memorize uh, the Bach partita over a month and analyzing it and writing chords underneath it. And uh, anyway, I just want to know what degree of that was scared. And I just practiced because I had to. I've heard that. That was kind of what we were told. Is that true? Okay, so what I remember, um, there's there's elements to that that are true because he, you just wanted to please him, and you you wanted his attention, and you wanted him to say, as he said to you, she's not bad. Like that's a huge compliment from Mister Baker. But in order to do that, he did expect everything to be memorized and to be like already polished. So yeah, I mean, the people who could naturally memorize probably fared a bit better and you had to have a pianist too. Like you, he did not want to hear anything without piano if it was written with piano. So you had to make sure you paid your accompanist, you rehearsed, you came in, you you memorized it. And oftentimes you would just play straight through and he would say, that's nice, honey. What's next? Yeah. And yeah. And so I'm like, well, I just played the entire Nielsen concerto by memory. Yeah, that's nice, honey. What's next? And so it, there is an element that's true. So we went through like a, I went through a phenomenal amount of repertoire at Juilliard, a phenomenal amount. And I, there were no notebooks. There were no, there are no comments. I, I, there are three words that I remember Mr. Baker sing, sing, okay. honey. I mean, that's if I wrote anything down, that's what I remember him saying. So the learning was just for it was just so different than it sounds like that was in um, Mr. Barron's studio, just totally a totally different kind of learning. It was two words. Sing, honey, sing. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. (laughs) And so we can't use honey anymore. Yeah, I know. I know. I use. I will say to my students, I'm going to say, sing, honey, sing. So just be ready. <laughs> I say dear in oh. honor of Ms. Backstresser all the time. Mm. And Wendy, what about you? Was there that a little oh. bit of that factor of, oh, God, he didn't say much. I better go practice. Well, I just remember him sharing his you know, multiple notebooks on all the ways to practice Iber. This was Mr. Barron. And I thought, well, why doesn't he just play it? But it was like every little unit of everything he had, you know, different permutations of how to practice Iber concerto. And I just thought, well, I just want to play it. And now that I teach it to my students, I do the same thing that Mr. Barron did, you know, just everything little building it up. So I did have that young, impatient thing. But with Mr. Baker, it was every week memorize and so I developed the best short-term memory the minute I walked out the door everything was gone (laughs) you know I would like memorize it just like with one part of my brain so I can go in and play it and then you know it'd be gone but um you know um, I remember when I first got into Mr. Baker's studio and I remember making a mistake And he said, why did you make a mistake? And I said, I was nervous. And he said, get used to playing your best when you're nervous. And that was really good advice to me instead of saying, don't be nervous. And this is something that I share with my students all the time. Like you're not nervous because you want to (laughs) be, it just, it is. But he said, just get get, get used to playing your best when you're nervous. 
And the other thing he, he said something like, you know, surgeons can't make mistakes. We, we, we can't make mistakes. And um, my uh, younger sister is a doctor and she said, yeah, but like, if you make a mistake, nobody dies. <laughs> but you, you sort of feel like you do. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> right. right. But, and it was this whole level of like this, this, the bar has risen, you know, we're all part of this club. You're, you're part of it. And um, it was a kind of professionalism that, you know, most young people don't encounter um, so, so much. I, I feel now with my students, they, they do have that. A little more than I did when I entered school. I still did it because you know it was fun and it was good. And but you know I think the people coming up now have a much more respect for um, professionalism and and doing it at the highest bar that they can possibly do it. Um, yeah. And, and I learned that there. I learned that at Juilliard. Uh, just a couple more things about Sam Lisbuck. Do you remember that Sam would lean back in the chair against the wall? and close his eyes and listen to your lesson. And you wondered, is he sleeping? And then Amy, there was one time that he did fall asleep in my lesson and he started to gently snore. And I came to an end of, I don't know which sonata I was playing. And I just stood there and I just thought, what do I do next? He's sleeping. No. And I didn't want to disturb him. <laughs> oh, poor guy. He was tired. Oh, he would lean back in the chair on two legs. Yes. Uh-huh. Wow. And then didn't he, didn't he trade chess moves with Mr. Baker? Didn't Mr. Baker and Mr. Barron share yes. the fact that they always had an ongoing chess game and they would just leave the next answer to each other in their mailboxes in their mailbox i remember this they'd uh, write it down on a piece of paper and he'd scribble it at the end of my lesson because probably he had been thinking about it the whole time oh liz that's amazing <laughs> i remember this he used to play chess with people all over the world that was incredible. My goodness, Mr. Barron was incredible. And he sometimes would show up to our concerts. Do you remember that? Like, uh-oh, all of a sudden your teacher's at the concert. And Julius Baker went on tour with us to Asia and he was in the concert audience every single night. I played Brahms' Third Symphony. It was very, it was unsettling to have Julius <laughs> Baker in the audience. Yeah. But did he come, did your teachers, uh, did Sharon, did Julie show up to orchestra concerts or recitals or anything? I remember one time he appeared in uh, room 313. Remember room 313 as a recital hall? Wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> room wait. 13. Yeah, that's where, that's where you gave a recital if you couldn't get into the real recital hall. I remember that. I'm thinking 309, but 309 was orchestra. Yeah. 313, the recital. And I remember splitting okay. a recital with Christine Locke and Mr. Baker must have been on his way out of the school and he got lost and he wandered into room 313 <laughs> to our recital. And he's like, oh, and he comes and he just sits down for a little while and listens. And we were just like, oh my God, Mr. Baker is here. So no, he didn't routinely ever, as far as I 
remember he didn't get a recital, but he did wander into room 313 one day. <laughs> Amazing. So we did not have internet. We did not have computers. We just had LPs and maybe um, cassette tapes. Mm -hmm. So there was a listening library and you had to go if you're like, God, I wonder if there's a recording. That was my (laughs) first job ever was in the listening library. So I remember everybody creepy, like I just remember creepy people. I don't remember (laughs) normal people at all. It was a library and you met the entire civilization there. Now, drama, right? Dance. Mm-hmm. Go listen. So you had to reserve a spot at a turntable. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any, any like memories of the library? Cause we really had to spend some time there. Anybody? Um, I, I blacked it all out. <laughs> however, however, um, I um, was, doing something and my daughter was a student and I asked her to go to the library and get me things and I found Julius Baker's cadenzas that he had written I mean it's it's still there I mean it's still like there's so much stuff there you can't access it unless you're you're a student there but I decided to take advantage of it so it's really a great resource but I don't remember um I don't remember any details about it from from that time it was upstairs yeah Sharon, do you remember it? Liz? I do remember those humongous headphones that we had to put and <laughs> out from the desk. Yeah. And then it was the fact that, oh my gosh, look at all these people. And like, we're all trying to find these, you know, recordings. And that was, oh, Alan. <laughs> so yes, I remember the trade-off was, wait, do I really want to listen to this or shall I find a practice room? Oh. Then... I remember that finally, yes, I looked into the library to look at flute scores, and I was astonished how much music there was. And so then it induced me to actually get a job in the Juilliard Library, and I worked there for four years, and then I got to know so many things because the library was such a great resource. And then really interestingly enough, this is an anecdote that um, I haven't shared with anybody, but... um, mother kept everything and so there was a Juilliard catalog from probably 86 or something like that maybe 85 86 and in that Juilliard catalog this is the perspective that goes out to students and stuff like that there's actually a picture of me sitting in the listening library with the headphones on uh-huh. my mother had this and when I went through her my stuff because um I mean bless her heart my mother passed away a few years ago and I was just going through all this memorabilia that my mother just held onto. It was so endearing to see me as this little kid in the listening library with those headphones on. I mean, I remember the headphones. For sure. 
<laughs> I just, I remember we had, like, there were a lot of record stores on Broadway. And if you wanted to find something, like, we had a turntable where I lived. And so you could just walk and leaf through all these, like, records and buy them for 25 cents and take them home and listen to them. So I did a lot of that. Yeah. Wasn't there Tower Records right across the street right. at the time? It was 65th Street. Yep. No longer. It was later. I don't remember what year that opened, but I do. Yeah, I do remember spending a lot of time there. That was so exciting. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Um, what conductor do you remember the most and what orchestra memory do you have that stands uh, out? Anything. It could be about a flute section. Yeah. I remember in my year, I had the honor of sitting next to Matt Dine. He had come in and arrived for his master's and I just was like, okay, you're, I, I learned how to play flute and oboe with this guy. Uh, I had a great woodwind quintet with Whitney Crockett and Todd Levy. Just, I, it was magic, right? I, I, I have before I left. Okay. I think I took Wendy's spot in that quintet. That was, they were like, okay, well, they know each other. That's fine. That's kind of how it worked at Juilliard. Um, so any memories that you have specifically of conductors, like I'll start Otto Werner Mueller wasn't on faculty there. He was a guest and he was spitting across the stand, running the same phrase in death and transfiguration, screaming, I knew Strauss. And he could not get enough out of us, these young kids. And he was super frustrated. And I was like, okay, I play Strauss differently now because of that moment. <laughs> then there was Bernstein with Joanne Folletta. Uh, and now I work with Joanne Folletta Brevard. There was uh, just so many great memories, right? I remember the rehearsal where Leonard Bernstein walked in to conduct us and I, I mean, I, I forgot what we were playing, but I just remember like being so, first of all, starstruck. And then second of all, like, oh my God, he doesn't even need to, he doesn't do anything except move his eyebrows or do a twitch. And, and we know exactly what to do. Like it was, to me, it was the first experience with a conductor like that, who you got so much information and inspiration from someone who did so little. You know, it's just like, it was all so amazing. And I, I just will never forget that. It was so exciting. I remember being intimidated in um, James Chambers orchestral rep class. I was such a young student and I was subbing for somebody and we were doing Prokofiev, Romeo and Juliet. And so there's this um, piccolo C that oh. you hold forever. <laughs> And so I remember just being so intimidated about that C and just sitting in that class thinking, oh my gosh, here's that C, it's coming up, it's coming up. And then I held it, I closed my eyes, and then it held in tune for some miracle. James Chambers stops the whole thing. He looks at me, he's like, now that is some fine piccolo playing. <laughs> with Wendy. Wendy, what recital well, did you play for your bachelor's and do you remember well, it? Well, I just, I have to say my, my older sister was at Juilliard at the same time I was. And what? so what was her I, name? 
her name is Joyce Lindorf. So she had her married name. She was getting her doctorate there. And so I played with my sister, <laughs> which I don't know if you know, um, it was a whole different dimension <laughs> than hiring a pianist to play with you. Right. But um, yeah, so that was, I remember that um, playing Bach B minor with her, learning it. Um, I had to play with her <laughs> the way she wanted to do, but um, <laughs> but I did, um, it, it was great. And of course our parents came and you know, that was, that was pretty nice. Sharon, do you remember your recital? You know, I, I do, but not, not as much as I remember everyone else's recital. Um, I, I, I do remember I played the Frank Sonata at one, probably my last recital. And just, I just had, it was so amazing. Like I just had so much fun. Um, but moreover, I remember going to recitals and sitting in that hall and listening to you all play and everything was by memory and everything sounded so perfect. And I would just sit there with my jaw on the floor, just <laughs> thinking, what? how, how, just like as just at a magic show, like how, how are they doing this? So I remember that hall very well, but not so much from playing in it, but from sitting out there and listening to all the other flutists give recitals. It was, it was astounding. It was amazing. Yeah, there was a lot of great music. What about you, Liz? I actually don't remember my recitals, but now that you mentioned your Mozart D major, yeah, I remember that recital. <laughs> no, hang on. I'm wrong. Oh, it's been 35 years. Guess what I played? Mozart flute and harp. And Suzanne Handel was the harpist. And I remember my father cried. Now that was, I think I had the nerve to do a junior recital. So you guys, by junior year, my head was so big. I was like, hey, I'm going to play Mozart flute and harp. <laughs> I mean, I remember there was some Mozart that you played and you had a bunch of string players. And yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know. I was just trying to run the world by that point. So I, I do though want to ask about the gigging life. We all were freelancers. Um, so do we all, <laughs> Sharon's covering her face. Sharon, do you, I, did you have a gig life? Oh, for sure. But I remember I actually paid for school by playing in the subway and we would, we would rush down there. It was three, it was a core three people. It would be two treble instruments and then a bass instrument. So um, we would rush down and to time, what was that? 42nd Street Times Square at rush hour. And we would, we had everything memorized and we played Mozart, Ina Kleina, um, like at breakneck speed, as soon as the train, train doors would open and we'd make so much money, but we'd barely get through before we get chased out by the police every time. And they chase us out and we'd go run and hide. And then we'd wait for the next train and we'd come back and do the same thing again. And it was that and the four seasons. Um, we're like the two, two money, we call them money makers. Like you could make money on those two pieces, but you could barely get through it before we were, we were chased around by the police all the time doing that. But, oh my God. And then we go to the Wendy's across the street, we're at like, and we go upstairs cause it was two levels and then we count our dollar bills and then <laughs> pass them out and divide them by three. And it was literally a fortune. We made so much money doing that. So that was, that was my gig life. But, you know, one of the best big stories I have is when I was a freshman and Mr. Barron asked me, 
could I do a gig for him? He was supposed to play a dinner party. And I was a freshman and he said, this dinner party, they just want to sell a flutist. And I'm really busy. So could you go to this apartment? And it was my very first time walking into an east side apartment where the entire elevator, you know, goes to the apartment. <laughs> and it was so swanky. And all I had to do was just play solo flute for an hour. And at the time I got paid $75 and I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> I had never seen life like that. <laughs> So getting back to gigs, do you remember the gig board? So we had a gig board and we'd go look at it. And so um, someone named Mrs. Farrow needed a flute teacher for her uh, daughter, Lark. And so uh, speaking of the elevator going to the apartment, Mia Farrow hired me as Lark's flute teacher for a hot couple of months. And I would go to this apartment on on, uh, Central Park West and wow, it was surreal, the gigs we would do. But I, I remember trying to do a wedding on Staten Island and, and getting on the ferry and trying to find my directions and I didn't have them. And I don't know, you guys, I found the wedding. I don't know how, you know, you just do. You, you summon the angels, the gig <laughs> angels, get me out of this traffic jam, get me out of this problem. Um, and, and the last thing I'll say about gigs as I owe it to Liz Mann. I teach this all the time. I called Liz Mann and said, hi, uh, you graduated a few years ago and you might not remember me. I'm not worthy, uh, but you're best friends uh, with my partner, Tom Garcia and Porter Garcia duo. If you can't do a job, could you please call me? And she called me back and she left me a message saying, sure. And so she gave me her reject work. I don't know what it was, some orchestra. I never played with St. Luke's or any of the big, big, big things, but it just takes somebody, some other flutist, it takes a camaraderie uh, to, to say, sure, you know, if I can't do something, I'll give it to you. And I thank Liz Mann for that, that break. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, but it, it also takes initiative. I mean, you're the one who called it. I mean, it took a lot of confidence and bravery to do that. And so you're the one who really set that up. That's great. Thinking back. Yeah. But remember Sharon in 1987, all we had was our Mozart concerto that we came in with, (laughs) right. And our music stand. And what were we going to do? We were going to pass the hat. So my gig was passing the hat at the Figaro cafe. Do you remember Bleeker and McDougal? (laughs) Sharon, I think I even subbed for you on one of those subway gigs. (laughs) <laughs> i remember grand central station that's where it was yeah grand central station that was the money maker with the wendy's across the street <laughs> yep so what were you ladies wearing we gotta end with the fashion what were you wearing in 19 between 1982 and 1987 because i arrived in preppy and i left in black so uh what happened to you wendy we'll start with you what were you wearing bell bottoms well, i think well, when I was there, um, I was into comfort. You know, I wasn't into fancy. And actually, Laura Gilbert had the biggest influence on me because she always had something really beautiful and really comfortable. And I have stuck with that to this day. So I love fashion, but I have to be comfortable. And that was the first time I realized you could actually do both. You have to shop a little harder for it, but you can still find it. So I have to thank Laura Gilbert for that. Yeah. Well, we love her. (laughs) Sharon, how about you? Did you have any fashion changes when you were at school? I mean, 
you ladies were always dressed to kill. I remember you in particular, you and Sue Hefner, like I never saw you at school looking less than a million dollars put together every single aspect of your outfits. I just remember I wore high heels a lot. I don't know how in the heck I walked around (laughs) New York in high heels all the time, but I would wear my heels everywhere. But I I was like, I was always in awe of your guys' fashion. Oh my God. Sharon, we could run in heels. We could run from 73rd street to 66th street in heels, four minutes. (laughs) But yes, it's true. What I learned was that, yeah, everybody looked beautiful and it was worth it to pay an extra couple of dollars to get designer stuff because we were in New York City. My students to this day have a hard time believing that we never wore jeans to our lessons. And I just remember that, that no one ever wore jeans to their lessons because we were at Juilliard. Mm. And my students look at me like, you have got to be kidding. Mm. And it's like, no, we all dressed up. That was the thing in New York. That's right. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you. It's great to see everybody. Thank you so much for having us. It's so much fun. It's so fun to hear this. It just brings you back to that moment. I just saw Wendy a couple of years ago, I think. Yes. Yes. And happy birthday again to you and good luck with, and your daughter is just beautiful. And to know that she went to Juilliard after you just is so heartwarming. (laughs) Yeah. In their Baroque program, right? Yep. Thanks for the popcorn, AJ. (laughs) (laughs) That's some good stories. It was really fun. Okay. We're going to end the, yeah. It's so great. I just wanted to thank you again and great Sharon to see you and Liz to see you. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for being in Porter Flute Pod. I hope you enjoyed listening in on this reunion from Flutus from the Juilliard School in the 1980s. We definitely want to do a reunion 2.0 next season. In the meantime, join us for our next Porter Flute Pod. It's our Stay Well, Play Well platform. We give advice for your mental and physical health. You can find more about me at amyporter.com or porterflute.com. And on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, I'm Porter Flute. Thanks for being here. I'm so grateful for you.